0: Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast,
1: the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now,
0: here's Philip. Hi, everyone. I want to do a little introduction in this episode because it's kind of special. My close colleague and sometimes agency partner, Kathy Oneto, and I have been talking a lot recently about the topic of leaving corporate. This is an important topic these days because of the pandemic, and it brought on a huge outflux of people from full-time jobs, whether that was by choice or as a result of factors outside of their control. I'm sure you've heard about it. The media is calling it the great resignation. Well, I'm talking about when you leave a full-time job, whether it's at a company for most people when they call themselves an employee of some sort working in a particular area of expertise or as a creative professional at an in-house internal marketing or design department, or at an agency of some kind. Well, Kathy and I have had requests from our listeners, as well as our private coaching clients, to address this topic on our podcasts in depth. So we decided to do a series of podcast episodes together, and each of us post them on our respective podcasts. Now, Kathy's podcast is called Sustainable Ambition, and you can find a link to it in the show notes. And as we started planning the episode series, we realized it's a really big topic and we could probably write a book on it. So the idea quickly grew into a five-episode series. So the topics of the five-episode series will break down like this. In the first episode, we'll talk about how to start building your brand while you're still employed. And then in the second episode, we'll talk about recognizing when it's time to go. And in the third, what to do before you pull the plug, Number four is going to be all about getting resourced and how you start building. And then number five is getting your brand and your new business going, the setup and beyond. Now, we've never attempted something like this kind of joint podcast idea before, so we knew there would be a lot of learnings that came up while we were doing it. And we both kind of like being crash test dummies in that regard. Let's just do it and see what happens. So one thing we noticed after the first episode was that when you get two podcasters together, one of you inevitably ends up leading the conversation kind of in the interviewer way. And when you listen back, it kind of sounds like their show. So what I'm trying to say is in these five episodes leaving corporate series, sometimes Kathy is leading the conversation and sometimes I take the lead for the episode. And when she leads, it feels like her show. And sometimes when I'm leading, it feels like my show. It's a little weird. Like I said, so, we ended up just kind of splitting it up who would lead the conversation. So, try not to be confused about that part of it. So, let's jump right into the conversation in the fifth and final episode of the Leaving Corporate series, where we talk about getting your brand and your new business going, the setup and beyond. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Kathy Onetto with the Sustainable Ambition Podcast.
0: And I'm Philip Van Dusen from the Brand Design Masters Podcast.
1: And we are together for this series on leaving corporate and going out on one's own. And this is the last of five episodes of this series, if you've been coming along on the ride with us. And we've been talking about this as being about a journey. And so here we are. And by the way, even though this is episode five, it's almost actually like we're getting to the plateau of like that first mountain that you've climbed and you're just about to get started on that next mountain that you're going to start going up. So let me just summarize what we've covered so far in this series. So the first thing we talked about was owning your professional brand narrative. And this was really about how to build your brand while you are still employed. And then we talked about, well, how do I recognize it's actually time to go? Like, how do I know if I should leave this corporate gig that I have? And then if you decide to go, like, how should you go? And then we talked in episode number three about what do you do before you even pull the plug and jump ship? Like what should you start to get put in place? And then we built on that in episode four where we really talk about getting resourced. And really it's a kickstart to today's episode about now getting your brand and your new business going. This is really about how do I first get set up and get my business humming, if you will. And then also we just wanted to talk about a few thoughts around What the beyond, like what happens once you've been operating for a little bit, and a few things that we'll share just from our own experience so you're not surprised. (laughs) So, what we're going to talk about today is becoming visible. Like, how do you even have people know you've put your shingle out? Establishing your voice, getting your first client, and building your revenue. We're going to talk about marketing as an independent, about the importance of really not going it alone, really finding and building community. And then the last thing, as I just said, we'll talk about and the more, you know, what to think about as you move forward and beyond. So with that all as preamble, let's jump in with this first topic around getting visible. So Philip, what do you think is important when people start to first get out on their own? You know, how should they think about becoming visible and perhaps what did you do to start to let people know like, hey, I'm out here, I'm starting to offer these services. I'm no longer at my Pepsi gig. I'm out on my own here. Where do you start?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think most people who have been employed and are employees for a while, they probably have some personal social profiles. They might have a professional LinkedIn profile. That's usually where a lot of people start. And the odd person might have a personal website. But I think that that's one of the things that you, if you're an independent, you definitely need to have that key piece of owned real estate, which is your website. And so... Needing to build a website, even if it's a rudimentary website, like for instance, when I was employed, I actually had a website, but it was like a three or four page website. It was basically like a LinkedIn profile on steroids, but with more pictures and my portfolio, but it was black and white. It was totally simple. There was no email capture. There was no description of what I offered or did because I wasn't pitching any kind of business at that point. So I had to revisit my website from soup to nuts. And at that point, at the beginning, it was maybe, you know, a four or five page website. Now it's probably a 250 page website with all the blog posts and all that sort of stuff. But so I think you have to start there. I think you have to start at some sort of real estate that is not owned by a social platform. You have to have some sort of a website. And you can do that fairly easily if you're not a super tech person. You can use Builders like Weebly or Wix, Squarespace has some amazing templates. It's a very low barrier to entry if you are not a creative or a designer or a web developer. But then if you are thinking that you might need more bells and whistles, more flexibility, more functionality, maybe e-commerce functionality or delivery of products or courses or things like that, you might want to engage a a web developer it doesn't have to be someone super senior, but someone who can build something out of WordPress and get you set up with a URL, et cetera. That's the first thing. And then you want to go and look at those rented pieces of real estate, your social platforms, and revisit them with a completely different eye. So particularly your LinkedIn profile, you're going to have to redo your about section, redo your description of what you are and what you do. Because those two pieces are the most heavily indexed concerning metadata for searchability on LinkedIn. And then if you have any kind of contacts or an email list, if you started any kind of an email list, you want to email people. You want to have a coming out party to an extent and get real about what it is that you're doing and that you are now an independent. And you can message people on LinkedIn, do a similar thing. But I think that you want to start communicating the fact that you have turned over a new page. And you can be very planful about that. You have to develop some sort of a story right, as to why and what that impetus was that got you to kind of make a leap. And then what you're going to do on that leap. It doesn't necessarily have to be the end perfect story of what the next three to five years is going to look like, because chances are it's going to evolve anyway, but you have to start with something. That's what I would say in terms of like the real nitty gritty, the real kind of like foundational aspects of becoming visible that you have to start building. What do you think?
1: Yeah, what I want to underscore and what you're sharing is this transition that you're making in terms of, like you said, you're no longer employed, right? It's kind of, you're going out and you're saying, this is who I am and this is what I'm offering. And so you need to make that clear and you can make that clear based on your LinkedIn profile and this website that you create. And the importance of that is that It's an easy way for people to get to know you before they even talk to you. It really is this way for you to start to pre-sell people. As you start to build awareness and create interest, there's a place for them to go to get to know who you are and what you do. And the other thing that I think is really important about this is when it comes to emailing people in your network as you're talking about, Philip, like it's really important to reach out to people within your network to let them know what you're doing. We're all busy, we don't know what each other are doing, and you need to go out and tell people and remind people like, Hey, I'm out here. I haven't talked to you for a while. I'm, I'm going out to do this new thing. And people are typically like really excited to see that. And it's not uncommon for people to start to reach out or think about you, right? You need to put yourself into people's awareness and be top of mind. And the other thing about having these pieces of real estate, as you're saying, are these assets that you have where you can describe who you are and what you do and what you offer and the value you can create is it makes it easier for other people to share you with people in their network. So this is where to me, we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, but there's a lot of different ways to market as an independent as you go out on your own, but referrals are huge. And so being able to make it really easy for people to pass you on to others. Okay. Again, we've talked about this in a prior episode, but it's like, What problem do you solve and where do you best fit with a particular client base such that if your network and your friends and former colleagues are talking to somebody and they're saying, hey, do you know somebody who does X, Y, and Z? They're like, I have the perfect person for you. And then it's easy for them to pass them on to your website or your LinkedIn and they can write there quickly, see who you are, see what credibility you offer and reach out, get in touch.
0: I have a power tip there in doing that. couple of things. One quick one that a lot of people ignore is the banner on LinkedIn. There is a banner above your little circular profile on LinkedIn, which is essentially a billboard. It's the first thing and biggest thing that people see when they go to your LinkedIn profile. And lots of people use this for a photo, but they don't really use it as a billboard. They don't put copy on there in terms of who you serve, what you do a website URL, you know, use it as a billboard banner about who you are. It's a great way to signal change. So changing your profile picture, changing your banner, those are the sorts of things when someone passes by your profile, they're going to go, oh, something's different. And they're going to be kind of clued into that. The other thing I would say is that sometimes it's uncomfortable to reach out to people on LinkedIn totally cold and especially coworkers or colleagues that it's a connection that's five years cold or whatever. And so making a transition away from one mode of work to another one is a perfect reason to reach out to people. So it's great when you have an actual reason that you're not pitching them, you're not asking them for something, you're just announcing some news. And so this is a great opportunity to send individual emails to people to rekindle relationships because you have some new news where there's no ask involved. That's a big one. And the other one, like to what you were saying, Kathy, which is really helpful for people is if you give them a little bit of swipe copy. So if you write a quick little paragraph of something that they can copy and paste into an email or to a LinkedIn message to one of their network connections to introduce you. It makes it really easy for them. So that's one of the things you got to keep in mind is like, if you're looking for referrals, make it super, super easy for people to get your message across to someone else. Don't make them write three or four sentences describing who you are and what you do and where they used to work with you. Do it for them. Say, hey, here's some swipe copy. Just copy and paste it. I'd really appreciate it. So that's one of those places where you can decrease friction and increasing the wheels of your new journey.
1: I love that, Philip. And I love this power tip. Yes. I mean, take advantage of these elements that really help emphasize what makes you different and who you're trying to serve, getting your message across. So I really appreciate that. The final thing that I wanted to just make sure we covered here or let people know about is that When you are sharing and you're starting to put yourself out there and you're starting to get a little bit into your marketing and sales mode, one of the things to think about if it's relevant for you in the kind of work you do is to think about testimonials. You know, sometimes some of us are more engaged on LinkedIn than others, and some of us has gone out and gotten recommendations and things of that nature. This is one area where being proactive before you even, you know, get to the stage, but to go get testimonials from prior people that you've worked with who are willing to endorse you and have a testimonial for you or even starting to put together some case studies of prior work, if you're bringing what you did previously out into the marketplace. And if there's things that as you start to have these sales conversations for the type of work you're doing, that you already have those kind of in hand to demonstrate your capabilities and your credibility. So just want to make sure we cover off on that. The next topic we were going to talk about, Philip, is establishing your voice We've talked about this, I think, before, but not really deeply. You kind of took a different approach in terms of establishing your voice. And I know we have a lot of tips and things for people to think about around this area. But what did you do to start to establish your voice in the marketplace? And what do you want people to kind of know around this?
0: One of the things I think that is the biggest hurdle for people to get over is just starting. And I wanna start there with just starting, because one of the things that, when you're coming out of a full-time position and you're going through a transition, you may feel like everyone is watching you and everyone is listening. And particularly when you're feeling like you want to start having a voice and publishing that voice, it's nerve-wracking. And one of the things I wanna impress upon people is that, number one, you just have to start. And chances are, at the very beginning, you're not going to have a big following. You're not going to have a big audience. So not as many people are going to be watching you as you think. And so at the very beginning of any kind of establishment of a voice or content development journey, you are speaking to a very empty room. And so you need to feel free to make mistakes and try different things because this is the time where you actually have less visibility. And that's a good thing because you're going to be able to play around a little bit. The other thing I would just depress upon people is that one of the things I had a lot of fear and trepidation about when I started doing content was I thought that everyone was watching me and that they were going to judge me. I was a fairly senior executive at a big software and company, and I just thought if I put a blog post out, everyone's going to read it and everyone's going to like troll me on it or judge me on it. I remember publishing my first blog post on like Blogger, which was like Google's old platform. I must have spent hours and hours and hours writing and wordsmithing this thing, published it. I don't know that anyone saw it, but hitting that publish, I was like sweat running down my brow. And the more you do it, the more regularly you publish, the easier and easier it gets. And also, the more you publish, the less important each piece of content is. So it's really more of the development of a library of thought leadership, or at least you know, voice pieces. and The more you do it, the easier it gets. And the more you do it, the less importance each piece has. So that makes getting started just a little bit easier. One power tip I'll throw out there is an easy way to get started is to guest post. Find someone whose blog you like or whose website you like and offer to write an article for them. It increases kind of SEO back to you for your website, and it also is leveraging the audiences of others by getting your content some visibility when you may not have developed an audience of your own yet. And it's a way to tiptoe into kind of creating content that is a little less terrifying.
1: (laughs) What I love about that too, is it also starts to put you in conversation with people surrounding the topic or the expertise area that you're wanting to establish yourself in or further embed yourself in. So this idea of starting to become a part of a community and starting to make those connections is another reason to think about reaching out to people within your sphere and seeing if there's a way to partner or connect or contribute in this way. And sometimes people, they're looking for content.
0: Everybody is looking for content.
1: Yeah, exactly. So sometimes it's actually quite a gift to actually reach out and offer to do something with somebody else. So thinking about that, I think, makes a lot of sense as well.
0: I think one of the things about coming out of having a job working for a company or an agency and then starting to publish blog posts, even social posts or curated content with an opinion at the top, is that when we worked for companies, we had to constantly think about the fact that we were a reflection of that company and that whether we were posting as an individual or not, we had to be very concerned about what sort of point of view we were putting out there and that it didn't reflect badly on our employer. Or, you know, there was this extra layer of judgment that we had when we were developing any kind of content, if we were. And like when I started, I wasn't, I had never published anything really. And so deciding, number one, what your point of view is to have an opinion and to feel free enough to voice that opinion without having to think about that extra layer of like, what's my boss going to think about this? Or what if my employer saw this post, what would they think? I think that's part of the coming out party is that you have to begin to say, hey, I can speak my mind now. And if I'm going to speak my mind, what is my mind? What is my opinion? What is my point of view on this? And that takes a little self-reflection to understand, like, where am I going to put my stake in the ground? Because there is so, you know this, Kathy, there's so much content out there. It's just a sea of noise. And the quickest way to have your content completely thumb-scrolled by is to not have a point of view or not put a stake in the ground or not to say something at all controversial. And I don't mean controversial like clickbait or anything mean but something that's got a little kind of thought behind it. And so I think that starting to feel your oats a little bit as an independent is one of those transitional evolution things that people should expect and to give some thought to.
1: You know, one of the things that's coming up for me, Philip, as we talk about establishing your voice is that I can imagine some people out there saying like, ah, I just don't wanna do content. I don't wanna put myself out there in that way because both of us, we enjoy creating content Mm -hmm. and I think we naturally go there. It might be the reason why I have always created content, but I'm not sure if that's why you have created content. And I'm wondering about what actually really pulled you, because we've talked about this throughout the episodes, really, like this importance of starting to build your personal brand. And I think we see this element of establishing your voice as being part of that. And yet I can still see people being a little resistant to this. And I think it starts to build actually into this marketing concept that we were gonna talk about And marketing as an independent. You know, you don't have to be on social media to build your business. There's a lot of different ways to build your business. And yet I also still think it's important to have some type of point of view and start to establish some degree of expertise and really does depend what type of business you're starting. And if you're doing B2B or if you're doing B2C, And how you show up on these different platforms and the type of content is going to be dependent on your business model, of course. But I'm curious for you, because I don't know if when you first came out, if you would have said like, oh my gosh, I have to establish a voice. So what made you choose that path over a different path previously? I know you said in a prior episode that you said, well... I wanted to work with entrepreneurs and small business owners and I realized my network wasn't going to get me there. So I came up with another way to reach those individuals. So can you say a little bit about like, well, what really made you finally kind of be like, okay, this is a space that I really makes me kind of uncomfortable actually, because it makes all of us uncomfortable to put our voice out. But you're like, I got to just go do it.
0: Yeah. And the reason why I did it, and I described this, I think in a previous episode, the reason why I started developing content is because I was very uncomfortable networking with people and pitching them, even soft pitching them in emails. And I also did not have a network of small, medium-sized businesses or entrepreneurs that I could pitch. So everything I was going to do was going to be cold, and that made me really uncomfortable. And so I knew that I had to show people that I knew my stuff. I had to show people that I had something valuable to them that would help build their brands and build their businesses. So what I had to do was I had to visibly put out there in a public way what I knew and what that stuff that I knew had value and impact on businesses. And so I started with a newsletter and I started with, you know, 50 people, 20 people. And I published a newsletter every two weeks where I shared a kind of a blog thought piece and some resources and some curated videos and some curated podcasts and some curated books and things like that. And just tried to show people that I had a point of view and that I was keyed into this space. And that's where I started. And then when I started my YouTube channel six months later, I said, hey, okay, so my target is small to medium sized businesses and entrepreneurs. And I have kind of an overlapping Venn diagram with creative professionals. I'm going to share everything I know about design, branding, brand strategy, marketing. And my mission was that I was going to take these Fortune 100 global agency processes and scale them down to a manageable way so these small to medium-sized businesses could use those processes to benefit their business when they didn't have $200,000 to pay Landor to do it. And so I, that's what I started to do. I started to put out content that was like really brass tacks about these are the tools. These are the processes. This is what you do. This is how it affects your business. This is why you need to do it. And I just started to share how to's about how this stuff worked because I knew that if I shared the value, people would say, Hey, this guy, Philip kind of knows what he's talking about. And i like his vibe. I like the way he communicates. I'm going to reach out to him and see if he can help me with my branding. And so it was attraction marketing, it was pure content marketing, and that's why I did it. I did it because I was not a business development gregarious type of person, but I had a lot of knowledge that I knew was going to be valuable to people, and I had to start putting it out there as an attraction. And it worked.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I'll just share my own experience because I think you and I are similar in this way, Philip, that our preference is not to go out there and do perhaps what some might see as typical business development. We, in the sense of, it's almost more like, I always get these terms mixed up, but it's like push marketing versus pull marketing.
0: Promotion versus attraction. That's how I got said.
1: Yes, thank you. That's how you think about it. Yeah, so it's like, you know, Dory Clark talks about this in terms of becoming a recognized expert, where if you start to become a recognized expert in a particular field, then people will find you as opposed to you having to go out and promote yourself and tell people. And that's, I think, for both of us, something that was appealing. It's kind of like, look, I just want to demonstrate my expertise through content, demonstrate that I know what I'm talking about, or in my case, even with sustainable ambition, like this is a new path for me. I've been thinking about this space for over five years, doing research on my own for over five years. Frankly, I've thought about this all of my adult life, even probably back into my teen years when I was first choosing a major in a college. And so it's been a something that has held my attention for decades. And yet I finally started to write about it. And I finally started to make it more public and to share my knowledge and to start to develop some of my own thinking around the space of maintaining a career and one's work uh, from decade to decade. And so I needed to establish that expertise. And I was doing that through content. And then I think what both of us appreciate about the value of establishing your voice and having some content for people to engage with is what you just shared, Philip, which is they might find you on LinkedIn because you've been posting. I certainly have had people, clients come to me through that. And even people in my network, oh, I saw that you posted and that you now offer coaching services. I'd love to work with you. Great. And then you have people that might go to your website then and see what you're offering and see what content you have. And then, you know, I just had somebody say, oh, I watched one of your YouTube videos and I was able to see, it was actually you and I, Philip, talking together. And I listened to that episode and You know, I liked what you were saying, I liked who you were. So people start to get to know you without even a first interaction. And so it is also part of thinking about your marketing funnel and seeing what different tools fit into your marketing funnel. So for you and I both, I think we have found that establishing your voice, having content can really serve a great part of your marketing mix to help establish your credibility and bring people to you.
0: Hey, everybody. I wanted to take a break and tell you that my signature course, Brand Strategy 101, is now open for enrollment inside the Brand Design Masters Academy. This is a foundational course for creative professionals and entrepreneurs who want to get started with brand strategy so you can sell bigger projects, increase your fees for the creative work you already do, and get paid for the thinking and advice you've probably been given away for free. The moment you enroll, you get immediate lifetime access to seven modules of training with over eight hours of instructional videos, 25 lessons in all, plus 24 downloadable strategy tools and conversation guides. In Brand Strategy 101, I've taken complex strategic methodologies used by the world's most respected global branding agencies and crafted them into a deceptively simple turnkey process and toolkit that you can use with your clients, even if you've never done brand strategy before or don't know where to start. Brand Strategy 101 draws from my 25 years of experience working with clients ranging from entrepreneurs to small to medium-sized businesses, all the way up to the Fortune 100. So if you're ready to up your game and bulletproof your career and protect your business from the downward pricing pressure of sites like Fiverr and Upwork, then Brand Strategy 101 is the place to start. Just go to philipvandusen.com BS101 and enroll in Brand Strategy 101 today. Again, just go to philipvandusen.com BS101 and enroll now. One of the things I want to mention though, and I you touched on this a little bit was that I started writing fully fledged blog posts. I mean, that's how I started. you started writing white papers in the agency world before even that. so you wrote some you know very deep, very thoughtful content in your newsletter. And a lot of people who are just tiptoeing into this space, that's pretty daunting to think about. like they're not going to start a YouTube channel. They're not going to write a big you know 5,000 word article on LinkedIn. But there are many ways to tiptoe into this, the like mini content, snackable content. And so I want to give just a couple hints to people who just like, how do I even get started in this where it's like, I don't have to write something big. Curate content. So find an article in Forbes or Entrepreneur or something that you like that's around a topic that is important to you in your business. And publish that on LinkedIn, but just have like two or three sentences at the beginning. Found this amazing article on Forbes. I really like, or I disagree with the opinion they said about XYZ. Could literally be two or three sentences. You put a couple hashtags in there, so people are going to see it that don't follow you or aren't or connected with you. Maybe tag a person or two that's a colleague, and then the first comment you tag a couple people and say, "What do you think of this?" So you're publishing something very light lifting for you but it's creating visibility for you it is creating and fostering engagement with your network and you can do that with articles you can do that for creative professionals you can do that with inspiration if you find a really great branded any project on behance and you just think it's really cool and you want to share it with your network say hey found this amazing branded any project i love their thinking about how they did this thing in the logo or the color palette so you're sharing inspiration it shows that you a designer, you think creatively, you're hooked into the trend in the industry, and you're staying current, and you're sharing value and inspiration with people. And that's really what it's about. It's like, how do you show up? So you're establishing the space you're in, and then what is important or how you are hooked into your industry, and just displaying a little bit of that. There are ways to do it that are not writing 3,000-word articles. And so I want people to understand that piece of it.
1: For sure, for sure. And We've spent a lot of time talking about content. So I'd love to talk just a little bit more about marketing as an independent before we dig into like actually getting the work going. But thinking about your marketing funnel, I think is important. I might say a little bit more about that. If you're not familiar with a marketing funnel, I'm not gonna go deep on this because um, that's not what this episode is about. And I don't wanna also bore you, but this is important. And if you don't know about a marketing funnel, I'm gonna talk about it just lightly, but go and look at it. A lot of what we're talking about in terms of content, it's about awareness building and how do you actually reach the people you want to target, right? Who do you want to speak to and how do you start to build awareness that you are out there and that you offer something? You can do that through content and sharing content. You do that through reaching out to your network and letting people know and asking them to think about you in the future and asking for referrals. You can do that through guest blogging and partnerships and things of that nature. And then we've talked about having a website. Well, if you draw people there, there's this interest stage, right? That you've peaked their interest. You've raised awareness, you've now peaked interest. And how do you start to gain some credibility of like, huh, this might actually be somebody I wanna talk to. And by the way, your funnel might look slightly differently, again, depending on if you're doing B2B or B2C. I'm kind of talking a little bit about a a B2B kind of funnel. You know, after you've drawn interest and they actually reach out to you and say, hey, I want to talk to you. Like, how do you allow them to try? How do you allow them to kind of start to get a sense of you? But again, this is where content marketing can help you because again, the way that Philip and I are using, how can I try? Oh, go watch one of my YouTube videos. Hey, listen to one of my podcast episodes like this. But these are like initial calls. There's other ways. Some people even advocate, you know, having a small project that people can actually do with you that is paid, but is a small investment that allows people to really try you out. I even offer people like, hey, just if you want to try two coaching sessions with me, this is a way to get engaged, try things out. And then you convert people. Perhaps it's what's your proposal process, what's your onboarding process. Thinking about these elements. And then how do you retain people? This is having an email list, keeping that engagement with people. How do you stay visible to them as you kind of move forward? So even as you think about marketing, it's not just that upfront. You want to think about kind of the whole mix there. But Philip, what are other things that you think are important for people to think about around marketing as an independent?
0: One of the things that you were talking about earlier in this podcast was if you decided not to do content at all, So how are you going to market yourself? And in that case, it really comes down to personal network relationships. So you have to connect with people or businesses in some sort of way directly without that bridge of content or attraction marketing. And so you can do that as an individual by nurturing those contacts on LinkedIn or reaching out to people directly and developing those immediate personal relationships and pitching yourself that way. There's another way to do that, which I am a huge advocate for, which is mastermind groups or networking groups, depending on how you want to look at it. I have found that masterminds are super, super helpful for people to get into a group of three, five, eight other people who are independents and building their own businesses is at the beginning of your journey It will be incredibly impactful for you because you will be exposed to methods, techniques, resources that you didn't even know exist. People are using them to build their businesses and people who are already using these things will be able to help you decide which of those things you need to adopt or what you need to start using or what you need to start doing. And you will be able to also have a mirror or a group of people who are experienced and on the same journey as you to bounce your decisions off of. Because as an independent, one of the toughest things that people have is having the confidence that the decisions they're making are the right ones. And having some people that you can get validation or new ideas from in the beginning is really, really, really helpful. So if you're starting off on your own in terms of marketing and you're not you know, doing attraction marketing from content, connect with two or three or find two or three other people who are also Independence and say, Hey, would you guys like to meet once every two weeks on an hour Zoom call and just share where we are and just talk about our businesses a little bit? And people usually are very warm to that idea and because it develops a deeper level of relationships. And one of the things that I have found in the mastermind groups that I've run and been part of is that they are also amazing new business engines (laughs) that you can actually get referrals or be referred or learn about clients through these mastermind groups and it is broadening your network and creating a deeper network at the same time before you were doing content or while you were doing content kathy You, I think, have leveraged some groups as well, some paid groups and maybe even some unpaid groups in terms of building that network of independence, right?
1: For sure. And we talked about this in another prior episode, too, where certainly in terms of creating community like you and I connecting other people in our network where we were saying from a resource perspective, starting to think about who might be people that I could partner with in terms of supporting my business or their business. So not thinking that I'm just a solopreneur, but really there is a group or collective that you can bring different resources to bear for your business. I really started there. And I do want to underscore this point. If you listen to people like Tara McMullen and Pam Slim, they talk about this idea of really leveraging partnerships is a great way to go. I think Pam Slim might talk about like the peanut butter sandwich, if you will. So it's kind of like, what's your service that's in the middle? And what are the things that kind of are tangential to your service such that you create partnerships with those individuals so that they know like, oh, I don't do this part of this process, but I can partner with this individual and bring them in or refer my clients to them next, et cetera. And you can be doing that and it becomes something that is beneficial for all parties. So that's one thing to really think about. And then joining communities, I think is huge. And yes, Philip, so after, like when I first started with just like those kind of partnerships and I've joined actually several communities, and tested different ones out and have found like which work for me versus which don't. And I'm a huge advocate of really taking advantage of the communities that are out there. There's There are many and finding the one that's right for you because this journey, as we've talked about, it can feel isolating. And as you even hear Philip and I talking, there's a lot of questions that come up. And even with people with a lot of business training, this is a different world. And by the way, as we all know, the marketing world and the sales world, it changes all the time now. So you kind of do need to stay abreast of it. And I think being a part of a community is a way to do this. And I just, I'm a huge advocate because it can get quite isolating to be working on your own. And I've just found it so beneficial to both learn from people that are ahead of me and are willing to share as part of their communities all that they know, and then to be a part of a smaller group where we've broken off from the main community and have our kind of little connections where we can support each other. And so I have found building community to be super helpful, for sure. And I would definitely encourage people to know that.
0: Yeah. And when you're starting off and you're building those initial pieces of your brand ecosystem, your website, how people are going to schedule meetings with me, you know, what kind of video conferencing software should I use? What sort of financial software should I use? All of those infrastructure decisions you need to make. And also the fact that when you're coming out on your own, you're barraged with just the huge number of options that you have to do things Number one, from the what the things are perspective, but number two is how you do those things or what tools you use or resources you use. It's a very, very easy to get overwhelmed like really fast and to also suffer from the shiny object syndrome or, you know, mm. like the movie Up with the Golden Retriever who sees a squirrel, right? Squirrel, it's like you will get distracted. And so being able to have a network of people that you are, are nurturing and getting close to, they will help you keep your eye on the ball. They're going to keep you from latching onto or developing too complex an ecosystem at the beginning, because if there's any advice I would give to people, it would be take the minimum viable product approach to your business at the beginning. Keep your offering of your products and services really simple. Keep your infrastructure really simple. The number of platforms you're showing up, keep that really simple and build on it over time. Try not to build something too fully flushed, too broad at the beginning, because then you're just going to have a hard time getting any traction on any one of them. And so, Kathy, when you were starting off, did you get that shiny object syndrome? Did you build something that was like too big, too complex, or were you able to focus?
1: Oh goodness, I think I landed in the middle a little bit. You know, I'm a thorough person, for better or worse. And so, when I first put, for example, my website out there, I still wanted to demonstrate, like, here's all the different capabilities that I could do, and Here's all the offerings that I have. So I think from a website perspective, I probably could have kept it a little simpler in that regard, Philip. But in terms of my systems and setup, it was a mix. Here's what I learned. I think in some systems, I went too far. And there's definitely over my journey have been times when I've gone and like leaped in because I'm listening to other people, hey, get this, get that, make your life simpler. And I go and I purchase these systems thinking that I'm going to be able to implement them and I don't. And four to six months go by and then I cancel them. And it felt so good to get rid of them and not have that weight of, oh my gosh, I'm spending even $50 a month, guys. It adds up. $600 a year for a piece of software that you're not really using. It's like, oh, that's saving me one thing to adding. that. It just didn't make sense. So I think even right now, I don't use accounting software right now Mm. because my systems and how my business functions, it's just not overly complex. And I have my backend systems connected in a way that it's actually quite simple for me to pull what I need to pull, even just from my my bank account. That might not work for everybody. I have other systems that I do use in terms of like paying contractors and things like that, but you don't have to get overly complicated. So I do, Philip, want to get back because we've been talking about a lot of set of them. Really, we need to land land around how do you get your work going? And What do you think about beyond? Because you need to have that first client and you need to start getting the income coming in. So do you have any tips for people based on being on the other side of this? How would you get people thinking about getting started with getting the income rolling in?
0: I mean, to a certain extent, you just got to land that first client and as soon as you land that first client you just have to work it as hard and well as you can because from the very beginning you have to develop super happy satisfied customers because if the one thing that i have found in my business over the last five years is that my best new business engine are my satisfied clients that when you are smaller word of mouth is so important so collect those testimonials Do the best job that you can. Make sure that you're documenting your process because when you come out of the other end of the project, you're going to want to be able to create some sort of a case study. The other thing that I discovered in my own business is that, yeah, I had a portfolio of work that I'd done for years and years with large companies and agencies, but I didn't have a lot of kind of soup to nuts case studies of my own. And that's the first thing that people ask for when they want to do business with you. They say, Who are your other clients and what have you done for them? So you really have to start building kind of a new portfolio of your own work from scratch. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to utilize your credibility and your portfolio of work that you had when you were still employed in a company, but you have to think about it over time that you are going to be sunsetting that work and you're going to be building your portfolio of your own work over time and that that is going to become your pitch deck, so to speak. And so... You know, My recommendation is work the client the best you can, do the best work you can, get a testimonial, keep them very warm, check in with them every two or three months, let them know how great it was to work with them. If they can think of anybody else who they might be able to recommend you to, and then document your processes and document your work because you're going to be building that new portfolio of work and in case studies that your new clients who come down the pipe are going to want to see.
1: Well, and one of the things that you're talking about in terms of documenting your process too, that can be super helpful, Philip, is we both know like the first time you do anything, it takes, you know, a lot longer than (laughs) when you do it the next time. And the other piece of documenting your process, frankly, is then you have a documented process you can share with your client. This is exactly what I'm going to do for you, right? You're probably putting that into your proposal anyway. You can then also start to bring other people into your business and say, and have them support you. This is how we do things here. So being able to have it documented and being able to share that so that you can get some help along the way is super important as well. And I do think, you know, yes, you need that first client to start. And if you can, we talked about, I shared in a prior episode, how sometimes where you used to work might be your first client, actually. So, you know, think about that as well. Like, can you actually even establish a first client before you step out? You know, sometimes I've heard this from people where they already have people prior to them stepping out that are saying, hey, I'd really love to work with you in this way. So that's something to really think about. And I think it's also important to think about the beyond that you need to be prepared to iterate and learn as you go along. And I think we've talked about this before, Philip, where this isn't a one and done once you first step out that you are like, yep, here's my business model and here's how it goes. And he- you know, here's, we're on our way. Just be prepared for the fact that it's going to be iterative and you're going to learn and you're going to find out like, Ooh, actually, I don't want to do that. That happened to me a lot in my first year. My first year was really about, oh, this is what I thought I was going to do. And this is how I thought I wanted my business model to function. And I've learned really along the way, it's frankly, it's no different than building a career where you're going out and you're testing some things and you're saying, is that the right match quality? Does that fit me? Does that fit me? Is this the right way? Is this how I want to build my business?
0: Well, and does this feel good? Mm -hmm. Is this the kind of work I want to be doing? Is this the sort of feeling I want to have in what I'm giving my clients? I think- Absolutely. That's absolutely yeah. true.
1: Yeah. And the final thing I want to share, because I know I'm going long, Philip, but is just this idea of also think about potentially, like for myself, I now think about my work as this portfolio and that there's going to be some things that I'm going to lean into. And I kind of thank Amy Whitaker in her book, Art Thinking, for talking about this, because it's not like I don't know this model. If no one's familiar with the BCG model of thinking about businesses, but companies use this a lot where they have their stars and their cash cows and their question marks and their dogs. Go look it up. I won't take time in getting into it here but she just reminded me that it is okay to think about the work that you're doing as potentially being a portfolio of work. And this might be really important for creatives, especially to think about, Where even for the work that I'm doing, there are my cash cow sides of my business where they are actually fueling and funding certain investments that I'm making on my creative side that are parts of my business that I'm building over time. And I'm creating an asset that my hope is, is going to pay off in establishing this credibility and et cetera over time. So just know that there's cadences and there's seasons to businesses as well. So I just want to share that as well. Do you have a final parting thought, Philip, on this?
0: Well, I just want to be really honest and say, before we hit record on this episode, both Kathy and I were talking to each other, talking about how we were going to tweak our business models. So it's like, we're both five years into this thing, and we are still evolving our processes and our businesses as our businesses grow, become more complex, and we try to funnel them towards the things that really light our fire. And so that's something I want people to hear is that pay attention to what feels good. And yes, you may have to start off doing an array of things that you know can make some money and develop some new clients, but pay attention to what feels good and try to kind of nurture the things that are what you want to do. Kathy is exactly right in the fact that we do all have to have those cash cows. I know a number of creative professionals who do content repurposing, which is not creatively taxing. It's kind of a lot of mouse pushing and a lot of posting, but it can pay the bills, right? Because it's one of those production level services that you can offer and get paid on retainer for. And so recognizing where it is, you can like keep some steady income coming in that's reliable But then where are you going to push yourself? Where are you going to experiment? Where are you going to grow? What are you going to try? And just pay attention to what works for you and and what feels good. And expect the fact that your business is going to evolve over time.
1: Uh, I think that's a great way to end, Philip, and to lean into the work that really makes you feel good because that will show with your clients as well. So thank you for going on this journey with us, everyone. We hope you really found this helpful in this series to hear from us on leaving corporate and going out on your own. And Philip, as always, it's been a joy to be in conversation with you.
0: You too, Kathy. And just so for everyone who's listening, this was the end of a five-part series. The first part was how to build your brand while you're still employed. The next part was recognizing it's time to go. The third episode was what you do before you pull the plug. The fourth was getting resourced, and this one was about getting your brand and new business going. So I think it was an experiment for us, for our podcast audiences to do a five part series. But I think we've covered a tremendous amount of ground and dropped a lot of value for folks. So if you liked this episode, go back and listen to the previous four, because I think it's a very important topic. There are aspects of the topic that we talked about, which are applicable, whether you're coming right out of corporate or whether you've been out for a while.
1: For sure. Thanks, Philip. appreciate the wrap up.
0: Thanks, Kathy.
1: Thanks, everyone.
0: If you'd like to help support the brand design masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content products, courses and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the brand muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand and business. That's philip van slash muse, M U S E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.